Let me read for you our, our passage for this morning. We're in this series that we've been working through all summer called All About Love. So this is our summer of love. We get to practice love on each other. That's part of the reason we're doing this uh, event after church. Hang around and, and uh, you get to rub, up sho- rub shoulders with other people and extend uh, your grace and your love. But our title this morning is Because He Loved First, which I think is one of the most important and dynamic principles in the entire New Testament. Where does that come from? First John chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is, fear in, there is no fear in love. That should say no fear, my mistake. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray for a minute. Lord God, we've been worshiping you here this morning. We've been celebrating uh, families who are renewing their faith and longing for you to work in their children's lives. And now we, we look into these important words of yours. Help us to understand. And I pray that you would form this simple observation that we love because you love first, form it as a foundational source of bedrock in our lives. It allows us to be loving and kind people, not measuring whether we're loved back, not measuring how much we think we're loved by other people, but knowing that we are so profoundly loved by you first, where you find us, that that changes everything about the way we think about life. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be at work in our, in our church family. And we ask that you will continue to guide us into conversations with other people who have questions, who are trying to figure out important answers about faith and God and Jesus. We also ask that you would be at work in, in those of us who are struggling right now with, with one physical challenge or another. And so we pray for Chris Ajayan, for Peter Dupre, for Tom Harrison, for Jean Devoisin, for Sig. We ask that you will allow them all to, to fight and to find health, and we know that you can even bring the miraculous into their lives, and we, out of mercy, we ask that you will extend your grace to each one and unleash your healing power in their lives. We also ask that you will make every day count, that you will continue to surround them with comfort and your presence, whatever your desire is for their days that they will know a profound sense of being prayed for and lifted up and encouraged and comforted by you. Lord, we pray the same for all of us, that we would know your profound presence in our lives, that you would guide our words, you would guide our actions, that you would create greater capacity for us to love each other, to love our neighbors, to love even those who shake their fist at you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guidepost tells the story of William Dunn of Florida who noticed a young six-year-old neighbor named Cameron who seemed to be angry all the time. Cameron would storm out of his home yelling at his mother over his shoulder as he left. And William struck up a conversation with young Cameron and 
He learned that his father was not involved in his life and that that was impacting him in a profound way. William thought about that and remembered, he remembered the strong relationship that he had with his own father. And so he asked the boy's mother if it would be okay if he took the boy fishing. The one thing that William really loved in life was fishing. And he took Cameron out and Cameron was hooked that very first time. I don't know if they hooked any fish, but Cameron was hooked. So William began to take him out fishing more frequently. They started doing it a couple of times a week. And along the way, as they talked, William started to notice that the more time he spent fishing and talking with Cameron, the more that he saw positive changes in the boy's behavior. Through this experience, William began to think that God was calling him to help fatherless kids. So he included some other kids from the neighborhood, teaching them how to fish too. Today, William combines his love for fishing with this sense of calling to help fatherless kids. Most of these kids end up going on several fishing trips with him and a few other guys from his church that have joined him, and it allows time for relationships to, to develop. Cameron, the boy that he started this with, is now 20. That means he's been doing this for 14 years. And Cameron often participates in these fishing trips too as an older mentor, and Cameron still sees William as a father figure in his life. William explained his idea to some other men at his church in Clearwater, Florida, and soon a ministry idea formed that he leads. Today, his ministry is called Take a Kid Fishing, Inc. And a friend who is a captain of a fishing charter offered a special rate of $25 a day for each child who goes on one of these fishing days. Planet Fitness and L.L. Bean got involved, and they joined him as corporate sponsors. L.L. Bean donated fishing rods and reels and even clothing, and other men from the church in Clearwater have joined them in this fishing ministry, and still others more have chipped in money to help pay for the charters. They're watching the lives of kids change all because of one man's combined love for fishing and his willingness to make room in his heart to love one angry fatherless kid. I was thinking about those words that I wrote a few days ago, forgetting that Dave Bailey chose that song, I will make room for you in our lives. And that's what he did. He made room for this one child in his life and it morphed into a greater sense of purpose for his life. Now, I chose to start with the story of William and Cameron because William noticed one boy's need enough to show him some love and kindness that in turn began to reshape the lives of fatherless kids all around the Clearwater area. He, William dared to love first and leave the results to God. This morning, we're going to talk about the impact of God's decision to love us first, even when we're angry, and we're far from God in the place where he starts with us. Our topic today is because he loved first. This is message six in a series that we're calling all about love. We're looking at several ways that the Bible talks about love, and what we are seeing is that with Jesus, life, love has a life-transforming impact that radiates outward toward other people. So good morning, North River. Let me extend a welcome to everybody who is here in our worship center and to those of you who are watching online with us too. I'm glad that you are part of this venture and that you are part of our online congregation. If you're new to North River, I'd, like, I'd love to learn how you found us and what your journey of coming to this moment where you darkened the door of this particular church, what was that like for you? How did you get started? Were you invited by a friend or you've been searching on your own? Love to hear that story. Uh, you can email me if you wish to at paul at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to begin the conversation with you. 
This morning's question behind this message is framed by the central verse, the key verse in that passage I read for you. We love because he first loved us. So here's my question today. Does it really matter that God loves first? So let me walk through this with you. I'm going to start off each point with this line, because he loved first. Here's observation number one. Because he loved first, his love is knowable and reliable. Verse 16 says, and, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Okay, someone's going to ask, how is God's love knowable? That's an important question that many people need to have answered before they can take deeper steps into Christian faith and practice. The previous nine verses that are just before the paragraph that I read for you in this chapter answer that question for us. Simply put, God has shown his love for us in sending Jesus. Verses 9 and 10 say in the same chapter, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what does this mean? It says, not that we loved God. That there are many people who are in an angry state or even shaking their fist at God or denying God's existence or saying, I don't want any rules from your God. And the Bible says that even in the midst of that condition, God loved us and made the decision to send his son to atone for our sins. He doesn't wait for us to move first. He doesn't wait for us to put our faith in him first. He doesn't ask you to clean up your life first. He says, I'll take you where you are and I'll start there. And he made the first move. And it's a dramatic, powerful move that is seen every time we look at an empty cross. John also adds that we can rely on this love. I think you will agree with me that this he loved first factor can be transformational in people's lives. Christian psychologist and author Mark DeJesus writes that four things happen instantly when people know that they are loved. Number one, you know someone has your back. That's the Lord himself. Number two, you have nothing to prove. In other words, the pressure is off. You don't have to prove yourself to God. Three, you have nothing to fear because the most powerful force in this entire universe is for you. And that's the love of God that we find in Jesus. And here's the fourth one. You begin to like what you see in the mirror. When you believe that God loved you and saw you as lovable first, you begin to develop the ability to love yourself, which changes the way that you look at the world around you. In short, knowing that you are loved changes everything about life. Here's a second discovery. Because he loved first, we can face the future with confidence. Verses 17 and 18, 1 John chapter 4, read this way. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has nothing to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, the first step in this process is that John reveals that, that God is making our love complete. Last week we learned that a vital requirement is staying connected to the vine. Go back and listen to last week's message if you missed that. The vine is Jesus and we are branches and we need that vital connection with Jesus every day to have his love flowing through us. 
In the original language, the New Testament was written in Greek, the word complete here refers to something that is whole, full, and mature. So, it's telling us that God is at work maturing, perfecting, and completing our capacity for love. Now, that may be the biggest discovery that you make today. We tend to think of ourselves as fully formed, and I am who I am. But God takes us where we are, and he is continuing to stretch that capacity for us to be able to not only be loved by him, but then to turn around and love other people. And I don't care how hard and brittle your heart is, it is not so hard and not so brittle that it cannot be stretched and made more alive by the living God. And that's part of what he's doing with us. So, he wants our love to become more complete, the Bible says. How do we know this is happening? There is one test that these verses lists for us. We are becoming more like Jesus. And so the back end of verse 17 says, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, colon, in this world we are like Jesus. This is the sign that our love is being made more complete, that other people see Jesus in us. Now, it doesn't mean that we have a messianic complex and that you see yourself as the Messiah and I see myself as the Messiah. We're not. But we represent Jesus. We are his ambassadors. And to some people who have never known the love of Jesus, you are the mirror because you radiate the love of Jesus to them. And so we become Jesus to them in those moments. This is the test. The more that starts to happen, that other people see Jesus in you, you know that your love is being stretched, it's being made more complete, that God is transforming you. We begin to act like Jesus. We begin to sound more like Jesus. So John puts it so clearly, in this world we are like Jesus. Do you get how big this is? This is a huge, huge statement from one of the apostolic writers. God not only adopts us as his children, he allows us to be like Jesus in at least small measures in this life. Now, John the Apostle, the writer of this letter, knew what he was talking about. There's a scene in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John were being interrogated by the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling council of the people in Jerusalem. Why? They had just healed a man who had been born lame, and they healed him in Jesus' name right outside the temple in Jerusalem. And the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, tried to shut them down. They were astounded by the boldness and authority that John and Peter spoke with. And here's the comment that they made about Peter and John. We can't account for how these men have become like this, except for one factor. They have been with Jesus. That's it. The more and more that you and I spend time with Jesus, we spend time thinking about Jesus, we allow his word to get inside of our heads and our hearts, God is transforming us to be more like Jesus, and it should not be a shock that somebody at some point says, I can't figure this out except for she's been with Jesus a whole lot. He's been with Jesus more and more. I see Jesus in them. That's the way that God works in us. The final result, John says, is that we can face the future with confidence. We can face the future in this life with confidence. We can face the future of a judgment day with confidence. Not, uh, knowing not, uh, not that we are perfect, that's not the goal, but that we are covered by his love and by his grace and that God is forming the heart of Jesus in us day by day. 
Now, this doesn't come about because of our own moralistic performance or achievement, but because Jesus' atoning work on our half has brought about this change. And it leads to our love being more complete, made more complete in us. Because Jesus loved us first and loved us all the way to the cross, a Christian who has put his or her faith in the Lord Jesus as Savior and who continues to walk in the love of the Lord does not have to fear the day of judgment. I would like to tell all of my friends who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, even if you are checking us out online, God does not want you to walk through all of your days in fear. He wants to remove the fear from your life. And the way that that happens is when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you realize that God has loved you all along and you decide to love him back. The changes start to happen right away in your life. So here's our big idea for this morning. Because he loved first, everything has changed. We are free to love without needing to be loved back. We'll get to that a little bit. Here's the third discovery. Because he loved first, we can love greatly in response. This is where verse 19 comes in. We love because he first loved us. Now, throughout this series, we have focused on the highest form of love. There are four Greek words that all describe some aspect of love, and we're focusing on the highest of those. It's the agape love of God. The the agape word in Greek literally means a, a love from on high or love from outside of ourselves, a sacrificial love. So Jesus and the apostles use this concept to describe this love from on high that comes from God to us when we have put our faith in Jesus. Last week, I mentioned that my old professor at Wheaton College, Merrill Tenney, referred to this as lofty love. I I really like that. It's a lofty love that every once in a while we are enveloped in, and it comes from Jesus through another person to you or directly into your life as you are worshiping him. It's a love from outside of ourselves. It is giving and is sacrificial in nature. This is the love that Jesus and God the Father give to us, this lofty love. It has the capability of taking all other forms of love to a higher level. Remember a few weeks ago, I had our band right in the beginning of the message play that song, uh, Bring Me a Higher Love, and we recognize there's this call even in our pop music to experience something that is greater. So the other Greek words for love refer to brotherly love, parental love, family love, romantic love. All of these are good. And each of them can be corrupted or used for selfish means, and we see that every day. But this lofty love comes directly from God and can take the others to a higher level. So now John adds this very important statement. We love because he first loved us. Let that sink in a little bit. John is saying that those who are alive in Christ have another gear, another dimension in our ability to love others. This extra dimension is something that comes directly from Jesus. It is developed over time. It is increased the more we lean into his love, and it comes from God the Father. By nature, it is an other-centered love or an extravagant love that is not meant to be kept all in ourselves, but as we give it away, he resupplies it. You can't get more until you give it away, but as soon as you give it away, he gives you more. Because he first loved us, we develop this extra dimension of loving others. 
This is not because we are great people. It's not because we can, mani- can manip- manipulate people into that kind of practice, but because the God who is at work within us is so great and because his capacity for love is boundless. By the way, this is one reason why we need a church like North River as a community, even in this age where so many people think that church is irrelevant or unnecessary. Our experience of this lofty love, this extravagant love, often starts within the church. This is where we get to practice first. We do not simply come here to watch online or to check a box or to say, I physically came to church and it's done. The church becomes our laboratory for testing out and practicing the principles of God, and one of them is related to this extravagant, lofty love. Through our small group fellowships, we get to practice loving each other and learning how to work toward intimacy and deeper fellowship with each other. The more we do this, the more the local church becomes this laboratory of love. Can we rename the church and make that our secondary name? The Laboratory of Love. This is Pembroke's Laboratory of, of Jesus' Love, right here. We learn to offer the love of Jesus to people who are like us, to people who are different from us, to people who are easy to love, and to people who are sometimes a little bit more challenging to love. We learn to love people of different racial backgrounds, people who are older, people who are younger. Or if you put it into geographical terms, like where I grew up in Weymouth, Weymouth people learn to love Hingham people, and Hingham people love to learn to love Weymouth people, and that doesn't happen naturally. Or if you move a little bit uh, southward, Marshfield and Pembroke people learn to love Duxbury people, and Duxbury people learn to love Marshfield and Pembroke people. You get it? We cross over these, these kind of man-made boundaries that we create that separate us, and we realize we're all in this together. And we're all impacted by the Lord who loved us first. And when we follow his example and we dare to lean in that direction, he gives us more. But he won't do it if we're stingy and we try to hold on to it and never give it away. Being loved first by the Lord changes everything. God ignites both the capacity and the desire for us to love others more extravagantly. We love others in our families We love those in our neighborhood. We love others at work. We love others in the church community because he loved first. We love knowing that someone else has our back because he loved first. We love knowing that we have nothing to prove to God because he loved us first. We love knowing we have nothing to fear about the future because he loved us first. We love knowing that you can like what you see in the mirror because he loved you first. The more that we see God forming the heart of Jesus in us, the more you will accept yourself, flaws and all, knowing that God has accepted you right where you are and loved you deeply. And I think there are many people in our day, in our society, in our church, in our communities that need to hear this. God loves you right where you are, no matter what mess you are caught up in, no matter how far you may feel from God right now, no matter how far you have strayed from what you've known to be true. He loves you where you are. It is not conditional whether he will love you or not. But know this too. As you experience his love, he will not leave you as he found you. He has very high goals for us. 
he wants to transform each and every one of us according to the image of Jesus Christ. So whatever you see that is wonderful, excellent, lofty about Jesus, God wants to take that and he wants to put that in your heart and mind and he will change us. If you want to walk from, with Jesus, accept the fact that he loves you where you are, no matter what label the world puts on you or the church puts on you. But he loves you so much that he will not leave you as you are because he knows that you are capable of more and his plans for you have so much more in mind. This is our God. And all of this is because he loved first. If somebody asks you what you learned today, I hope there's one line that will stick. Everything's different about my life because he loved me first. Here's the big idea. Because he loved first, Everything has changed. We are free to love without needing to be loved back. It doesn't matter if anybody loves you the way you love them because Jesus loved you first. I wonder if you would be willing to pray a, a concluding prayer to this, um, to this message with me. It's going to show up right now. Let's do this out loud. Jesus, as I receive your love and grace... Let your extravagant love flow through me. Thank you for loving us first. Help me to love others like you love me. So let it be. Amen. You know what that word amen really means? Let it be. Let it take place. And that's what we just prayed. So let it go. Thank you, Lord.